Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The we're living in the future, and none of this has happened yet. Addition, as we not only look ahead to Sunday's game against the Dallas Cowboys, but also talk to an NFL draft expert about the class of 21. My one-on-one player interview this week is with a guy who has a very unusual job, quarantine quarterback. And we'll wrap up this edition of the podcast by talking to a local business owner who has partnered with the Bengals to introduce a new fashion brand with a positive message. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since medical scientists. The fastest a vaccine has been developed for a major disease is four years when an inoculation against mumps became available. Right now, the world is witnessing what will rank among the greatest feats in medical history, a vaccine for a lethal pandemic in a fraction of that time. Multiple vaccines for COVID-19 are nearing approval. It will take months to mass produce and distribute them in large enough numbers to effectively end this pandemic, but modern science is truly remarkable. Now, let's get to football. It's been a rough year for the Bengals and this week's opponent, the Dallas Cowboys. Both lost their starting quarterbacks to season-ending injuries and are looking at high draft picks next year. Right now, the 2-9-1 Bengals would have the third pick and the 3-9 Cowboys would have the fourth pick. That's where we start this week's podcast. Dane Brugler covers the draft for The Athletic and is a walking encyclopedia on the subject. Recently, Dane joined Dave Lapham and me on the Bengals pep rally show, and we began by discussing Oregon offensive lineman Panay Sewell, who is widely considered to be the top O-lineman in the 2021 draft. He's a very, uh, very talented prospect, uh, and he's a very young player. Uh, He will not turn 21 years old uh, until October. So a very young player who unfortunately opted out of the season. And I say, unfortunately, just for evaluation purposes, but we saw enough of him his first two years. He started 20 games at left tackle for Oregon. Um, you know, for a player that young to play at the high level that he did, just a really impressive player. He's, He's a native of American Samoa, moved to the States, moved to Utah in uh, 2011, and just really started to grow uh, both physically and then on the football field uh, with his understanding of the, of the sport and the position. And you, you feel like he's still far away from uh, playing his best football. So, you know, the combination of what we have already, and that's just a, uh, a player who, you know, he has that big man balance. Uh, he's got that mobility, the football instincts but also what you think he's going to be as he continues to grow and, you know, as he gets older. I mean, it's hard to believe he was actually born a few weeks before Tom Brady threw his first pass. So this is a very, very young player who has a very high ceiling in the league. Boy, when you, when you look at it, I, I was wondering physically, obviously, the dimensions and the athletic ability and all that, but I was going to ask you about the mental part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Does he – the football IQ – football instincts does he have football awareness does he see the is he tunnel visioned on just his assignments does he understand the the total uh you know football philosophy and structure of of his offense what defenses are trying to do to his 
his position offensively? I mean, is he into all that stuff? Are you aware, or is or is he still growing in those departments? Well, I mean, he's still growing. Uh, you know, there are times where uh, you know he can be out angled in the run game, and you know, just in terms of understanding where his landmarks are, improving his body position, um, you know, the timing mid set. Uh, you know, th- these are areas where he can get better. But I don't think they're areas where they're a problem, or mm-hmm. you you think it's going to be an issue for him uh, long term. But I mean, th- there's a lot to be encouraged with his instincts. He, he's a player who uh, he, he understands timing with his punch. His hands stay uh, up, ready, explosive, six inches, uh, so he can attack rushers before they get into his body. Uh, he keeps his feet moving at contact, so he can create movement in the run game. Uh, and then I think there's something to be said about his toughness. He will play through injuries. He played his entire senior year of high school with a torn labrum. Uh, so this is a tough, tough dude who, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you point to that say, okay, he, he's going to be a pro, uh, not, not only just a starter, but a Pro Bowl level player for a long time. We're talking to Dane Brugler, who does a great job of covering the draft for the athletic. If Sewell is taken before the Bengals pick, how is this class of offensive linemen after him? Uh, at the offensive tackle position, I think there's a clear one with Sewell, but I also think there's a clear two, and that's Rashawn Slater at Northwestern. And I tell you what, he's going to get dinged throughout the process. When he comes, I, I can see it now. He's going to step up on the stage at the Senior Bowl. He's going to extend his arms, and they're going to be 32 and a half, 32 and three quarters. And he's going to get dinged because he doesn't reach that 33-inch threshold that you know, a lot of teams, a lot of evaluators have. But this guy's a tackle. I, you watch him on film, and you see a guy that's coordinated. He understands uh, leverage. He understands how to attack the opponent. Throw on the tape of him against Chase Young last year. He was the only uh, tackle on last year's college film that was able to slow down Chase Young at Ohio State. A really, really impressive player. Another opt-out, no tape from this season. But he started 37 games, uh, both at right tackle and left tackle for Northwestern. So uh, he is an experienced player who is worthy of, of a pick somewhere in the top 20. If, in fact, the Bengals uh, don't pick at number three, uh, when you get to number five or whatever the case may be, or even at number three, is there an edge rush guy that's close to Sewell, value on the board? It's like, okay, I want to take the best available player on the board. And position and need obviously is, is a factor, but they need pass rushers as well as tackles. Is there a pass rusher that may cloud the issue at all? You know, we've been really spoiled the last few years with, you know, Miles Garrett and, then you know, the Bosa brothers, uh, Chase Young last year. Right. Uh, this year, we don't have that guy. We don't have that clear-cut top five overall pass rusher who's just different. He, you know, he's got special to him. Right. Um, now, we've got some quality pass rushers in this class, but none that I would say are top ten locks. Uh, Gregory Rousseau from Miami, he's the most interesting of the group, another opt-out redshirt sophomore who uh as a as in high school he was a wide receiver he played defensive back and then he kind of outgrew those positions moved to defensive line as a senior and then as a redshirt freshman last year at miami he led the acc in tackles for loss in sacks uh, a really young player but you see the potential really long he's a good athlete but still piecing together how to be a pass rusher in terms of his sequence in terms of his pass rush moves I, I, he could maybe get into the top 10 but he's not a top 10 lock. He's not on that same level. And really, that's the conundrum with this draft. I think looking at the non-quarterbacks, 
there's only a few of these guys that you point to and say, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to the top 10. And I think that's uh, Penny Sewell. And then I think Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU. After that, I'm not sure any of these guys are uh, absolute locks to go in those top 10 picks. No corners either, huh? I think this, this class has a few really talented corners. Caleb Farley uh, from Virginia Tech, uh, Patrick Sertan from Alabama. I would, if I had named two guys on defense, those two would be the guy. Uh, did be the guys. Caleb Farley was a quarterback in high school, moved to wide receiver, then moved to corner at Virginia Tech, and he got a sky-high ceiling as a player. He's a good-sized athlete, 6'2". He's going to run really well. He's got ball instincts still new to the position so he's still learning and so it's just a matter of how early do you feel comfortable taking a guy like that Patrick Sertan obviously the son of an NFL pro bowler not going to run exceptionally well probably somewhere in the four fives but he's long he can he can press he can pattern match and he does a nice job finding the football downfield so uh, I think both those guys will definitely be in consideration but I don't know that I would call them absolute locks couple more questions for the athletics draft expert, Dane Brugler. How do the quarterbacks line up in your mind at this point? And have you heard anything yet about Desmond Ritter, who's a junior at the University Mm. of Cincinnati? And I think everybody expects him to come back for his senior year. But is he on the radar at this point? Uh, well, it, the, the Ritter's definitely on the radar, no question. Um, I, you know, after you get past these top four quarterbacks, uh, that's Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, uh, and Trey Lance. Then you got a couple seniors. You know, Kyle Trask is in there, but Desmond Ritter is one of the few, uh, you know, upside quarterbacks where you feel like he's maybe a developmental option. Uh, he has the size. He's got easy arm strength. Um, you know, still has room to fill out that frame of his. He's a good athlete. Uh, the accuracy you wish was a little bit better. It seems like for every five yards that he's throwing, it seems like his accuracy drops just a little bit. So, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that's easy to love. The competitive nature, uh, you know, talking to my people in Cincinnati, they say he's just off the charts. He's a true competitor. Obviously, he's well coached there. So, I, personally, selfishly, I'd love to see Ritter go back for another year because I think. He could be continuing to get better and better, and we'll be talking about him as a possible first-rounder in the 2022 class. Uh, But this year's Mm -hmm. class, it's going to dominate the conversation, these quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence, the clear favorite to go number one. And then two, three, and four, those those, those next three quarterbacks, that's where there's a lot of intrigue uh, and split opinions throughout the league. There's no consensus on these guys. Ohio State's Justin Fields, uh, just a a really good mobile athlete, uh, very accurate with his, his passing vision was a little bit better in terms of going through his progressions, eliminating things a little bit quicker. Um, what Zach Wilson has done this year for BYU, just, just really phenomenal. Uh, BYU hasn't had the, the best schedule necessarily in terms of the opponents, but watching him execute these throws off-platform, in-structure, out-of-structure, uh, changing his arm angles, and just has a natural accuracy to him. So Zach Wilson, he's in play to be one of the first quarterbacks off the board. And then Trey Lance, who's really an unprecedented evaluation, 17 career starts in college, all against FCS opponents, uh, 46 total touchdowns, only three turnovers, a lot of traits that you bank on uh, for the next level. So I, I think you can be drafted high, but with his resume, his meager experience, he really is an unprecedented evaluation. You, when you mentioned uh, Sewell and, and uh, balance, I can mm-hmm. testify to the fact that when I played against uh, defensive linemen that were of Samoan heritage, mm-hmm. these guys were 
immovable objects. I mean, they all the weight that they carried was all in the right places. Their their knees were over their ankles. Their hips were over their knees. I mean, they were just like they'd hunker down, balance up, and uh, you couldn't move these dudes. And is is he is he that kind of guy? Is his weight distributed that way? Is he that type of an athlete? And and what are his actual dimensions? I've heard anywhere from three twenty to like three forty and above. How, how big and strong is this guy? Yeah, it'll be interesting interesting to see what he weighs in at because obviously we haven't seen him this year. So you know he's obviously working out and you know trying to hone his craft. But what will he tip the scales at? I, I would guess somewhere between three twenty and three thirty. Uh, you know he, he's just a hair under six six. Uh, good length, but I, I agree with. You. I mean, I, I think he does have that flexibility, just that natural, natural body type where the footwork, the flexibility, it looks natural for him. Uh, the the physical traits, uh, you know, no worries there. That big man balance, the mobility, that's part of the reason why Tristan Wirfs is having so much success as a rookie right. for the Tampa Bay Bucks this year. He has that big man balance, and yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, he, he's another one of these just big Samoans who uh, it, it just looks natural for him out there. It, it really excited to see Sewell uh, this this pre-draft process, just to see what improvements he's made. Is he moving the same? What's his weight at? So yeah, plenty we have to learn about Sewell, but he's in that driver's seat to be the first non-quarterback drafted. Dane Brugler does an exceptional job of covering the draft, and you can follow him on Twitter at dp brugler. Now time for this week's one-on-one player interview. My guest is a player who joined the Bengals last week and has a job that didn't exist in the NFL until this season. One of the most unusual jobs in the NFL this year is emergency quarterback. Brandon Allen had that job with the Bengals. Now he is the Bengals' starting quarterback. And the new person in that role is Kevin Hogan, who joined the team last week. Kevin, we're calling it emergency quarterback because you have to be kept somewhat separated from the other two just in case they catch COVID-19. How difficult does that make it for you to learn the offense and be ready to play just in case? It's definitely a little different than I've been used to in the past. Uh, And, you know, as a quarterback, you want to interact with the other guys and be in the same room with them and uh, socialize with them. But that's just uh, the way it is this year that I have to kind of be separate. So uh, I'm doing my meetings uh, via Zoom and in a separate room. And uh, when we're out on the field, I'm just being conscious of staying, you know, a a good distance away uh, just to be safe. Um, But yeah, and then outside the facility, I'm, you know, making sure that I'm staying out of uh, uh, not good situations, I guess, and, and being smart. Uh, so it's definitely different, but uh, it's it's easy with Zoom, easier than I guess it would have been without. Um, so I still feel like I'm kind of in there and, and able to uh, get a lot out of the meetings. We're chatting with quarterback Kevin Hogan. In a normal year, you could try out with a team on a Tuesday, sign a contract, and be at practice on Wednesday. Not this year. Describe the process you went through before signing. So I was uh, called on uh, Monday morning and I was on a flight about a couple hours later. And uh, as soon as I got to Cincinnati, I uh, began my quarantine process, which was five days. And uh, the only thing I had to do was uh, come to the facility each morning and get tested and then just make sure that I didn't catch COVID-19. So uh, it, it, it was a lot of, uh, alone time and 
uh, trying to make the most out of your day while staying in shape and uh, getting ready for a workout. I'm picturing lots of takeout and lots of Netflix. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> did, you, did you watch Queen's Gambit? Uh, what, what did you knock off on Netflix? So I was coming from San Diego where I was doing uh, quite a bit of surfing out there. So I was uh, catching up on some of uh, my surf documentaries hmm. uh, last week, just kind of keeping me in that uh, low key, uh, good vibe, just so that I was able to, you know, not overthink anything or um, just wanted to stay low key. We're talking to Kevin Hogan. It's been reported that former Seattle draft pick Alex Magoo also got a workout. Did you two run into each other at all during that five-day period? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I saw him every day. Uh, Alex was a really good guy. Um, we were able to catch up a lot. He'd been down in Florida. But, uh, yeah, and, and, and he spent some time around the league. So we were kind of just uh, chatting and, and catching up uh, about his experiences and you know, I, I wish him the best wherever he ends up. So your name undoubtedly sounds familiar to some Bengals fans because there are four quarterbacks in history to rush for 100 or more yards in a game against the Bengals. Cordell slash Stewart, Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson, and you. You did it in your NFL debut with the Cleveland Browns, seven carries, 104 yards, including a spectacular 28-yard zigzag touchdown run. What are your most vivid memories of that day? Uh, there's a lot. Um, I have a lot of fond memories of, of being in uh, Paul Brown Stadium uh, because of that debut. Uh, we lost uh, that day, but it was uh, a lot of fun uh, making a debut in the NFL and uh, still have that touchdown ball uh, on my shelf, um, but I'm trying to do it again. I would love uh, to be able to do that again a few more times. We're chatting with Kevin Hogan. You're a Stanford grad. You had an incredible career for the Cardinal, including three Rose Bowl victories. It's also a great academic school, obviously. How did you juggle football and school? They did a really good job of providing resources and, and uh, any help you might need to, uh, whether it was balance your time or your schedule um, with, with classes or practice. Uh, they're very flexible. So it made it easy on us. Um, I, I know that the academics is, is, is tough there. Um, so it was really helpful to have those resources and the ability for athletes to reach out if they need to help or tutors. Um, and then the coaches were, were flexible with uh, practice schedules. Uh, if you had a class, so that, that's something that I really respected from Stanford, that they were really willing to help the student-athlete. You were on NFL rosters for three years before being out of the league last year. What did you do last fall? Um, so I got injured in um, the last preseason game of 2019 um, and had to uh, undergo surgery. Um, and so I was spending a majority of last season rehabbing. So that, that took up most of my time. And then uh, just really tried to stay busy mentally. Uh, I didn't want to kind of fall into a funk. Anytime someone goes through some sort of adversity, uh, that can be tough. Um, so I was trying to stay busy. I did a, a few week long internships with my financial advisor or uh, actually interned on Capitol Hill for a week and really just taking lots of meetings outside the football world just to kind of pick people's brains and learn as much as I could while I had all this time. 
You interned on Capitol Hill for a week? I did. With what representative? So I interned for Congressman Steve Scalise, who's the Republican whip. And it was a very eventful week uh, because it was impeachment week. <laughs> wow. Do you envision a career in politics someday? Is that something that interests you? No time soon. Um, it was just something that uh, being from D.C. Uh, and knowing people who've been on the Hill, uh, that it was something that I w wanted to kind of peek my head into. But I would love to play football as long as I can. And then whenever my football career is done, uh, try my hand in, in business. All right, final question for Kevin Hogan. Obviously, you could get into a game if there are injuries or depending on the, the play of the other two quarterbacks, so you've got to be ready to go. But beyond that, what's your goal in this final month? Are you trying to make a good impression so that you'll be back with the Bengals at the beginning of next year? Oh, I would love to. Um, I'm really enjoying my time here. Really like uh, the coaching staff. Um, really appreciate the opportunity that they've given me. Um, to come in and my, my goal is to just be the best teammate to help uh, Brandon and, and Ryan and the other guys as much as I can um, and then just show that uh, I can contribute um, to this team and um, really just be a guy that, that the organization would want to keep around um, and show that I've made uh, I've worked on a lot of stuff over the last year year and a half uh, and I want to show those improvements yeah, I would love nothing more than to be back in Cincinnati. Kevin, appreciate the time very much. Best of luck the rest of the year. Thank you. Appreciate it. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. The Dallas Cowboys come to town on Sunday with Andy Dalton at quarterback. The Red Rifles' 10th NFL season and first on a team other than the Bengals has been eventful to say the least. He replaced an injured Dak Prescott in Week 5 and led the Cowboys to a dramatic last-second victory. In his first start the following week, Dallas got blown out by Arizona on Monday Night Football 38-10. And one week later, Andy suffered a concussion after a brutal hit by Washington linebacker John Bostick. While he was out with a concussion, Dalton got COVID-19, extending his time on the sidelines. He returned to action three games ago, and the Cowboys have gone 1-2 and two since, including a 34-17 loss in Baltimore on Tuesday night. For the season, Andy has seven touchdown passes, six interceptions, and a passer rating of 79.5. That would be the second lowest of his career, only topping last year's number of 78.3. The Cowboys are in last place in the NFL's weakest division, the NFC East, where the Giants and Washington share first place at 5-7. and seven. Clarence Hill Jr. covers the Cowboys for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and joined Lapp and Wayne Box-Miller in our Know the Foe segment. You know, Clarence, when you, you take a look at the game last night, obviously not a good showing for Dallas, especially giving up almost 300 yards on the ground, but... Uh, what was your assessment of the game in total? <laughs> Cowboys can't stop the run. Cowboys can't stop the run. The Cowboys <laughs> can't stop the run. I mean, that's been a, you know, a, a theme. You know, your rival Cleveland Browns rushed for 307 yards against the Cowboys earlier this season. You know, the Ravens damn near 
got 300 yards. They got 294 against the Cowboys. And when 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 uh, Cleveland did, it was about the two-headed running back. You know, this time was about not being able to contain uh, Lamar Jackson and then the things they do off of Lamar Jackson. So uh, it, it's been a season-long problem. That's been a difference. You know, uh, the Cowboys could have done some things in that game. You know, their kicker, Greg Zerline, missed three kicks. He makes those three kicks. You know, it's a different game. You know, uh, but the theme was not being able to stop Lamar in that running game and giving up too many big chunks. You know, you look at Dallas Cowboys' schedule now, their body clock as such. They play on Thanksgiving. They have 12 days between games uh, to last night's game. And then they have basically four and a half days before they have to play the Bengals on Sunday. So you're going, like, extra long and then real, real short and tight. What's been the sentiment down there in terms of that scheduling quirk because of the coronavirus? Well, you know, it's two schools of thought. That means they had extra time to study for the Ravens and it didn't make a difference. <laughs> you know, <that> <laughs> to get prepared for the Ravens, and it didn't make a difference, right? Right. So now it's two o'clock. Then now they, you know, they're talking to the player after the game last night. You know, they're happy to to put that behind them to get back to playing again, to put that game behind them. But it is what it is. This is twenty twenty. You know, with, with COVID nineteen, and you know, no one's life is, is is as it should be as we want it to be. Everybody's true. True. It's changed, and so you know it's it's part of the territory. The schedule, the schedule. The Cowboys have to be prepared to play, just like everybody else has to be prepared to play, because you know they're not in control. COVID is in control, and 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 these teams in the league are trying to make the best of this situation. When it's twenty twenty, so yeah, the Cowboys have a short week. Uh, They're three and nine. You know they they got a lot of issues. Speaking of issues, uh, when you think about this team and, and the running game, and we were talking about it a little earlier, you know, Zeke uh, uncharacteristically fumbling the ball a lot this year. But uh, is there anything else that you could point to as to why he may be having a few challenges with respect to the, keeping the ball? Well, the offensive line is awful. You know, they're, they're, they're without – you know, they, there was a time when the Cowboys considered to have the best offensive line in the league. You look at last year, you know, they, you know, it's the offensive line they had with, with Travis Frederick, a first-round pick, and Tyron Smith, a first-round pick, and Zach Martin, a first-round pick, and Leo Collins, a first-round talent uh, at right tackle. And, and none of those guys are here. Travis Frederick retired. Uh, uh, Martin, I mean, I'm sorry, Martin's on injury reserve. Leo Collins on injury reserve. Uh, Smith is on injured reserve, and they're playing with, with a lot of, you know, undrafted free agents and, and, and guys on the line. So that played a huge role in Zeke's success on the running game. You know, that, this line is not, you know, road grading people for Ellis to, to run through gigantic, gigantic holes and take advantage of people in the secondary. So that's a big difference in why the running game is not what it was. And then Elliott has to take care of the football. He's never had five fumbles in the season. Yeah, he's he had six fumbles and lost five of them. He's put on the ground six but, times, and he's he's right. never he's never been known as a fumbler. That's for sure. No, he carries the ball a lot. Yeah, yeah, and he's high and tight with it usually. Defensively, Mike Nolan is he in trouble? I mean, first quarter points they've given up ninety four, one hundred and twenty two points in the second quarter, one hundred and eighteen points in the fourth quarter, second and fourth quarter they've given up two hundred and forty points of their three hundred ninety three, which is dead last in the league, thirty thirty second in the league. Is is Mike Nolan in trouble, or because or, it doesn't sound like McCarthy's in trouble? But are they going to break up that uh, you know that BFF deal between those two guys? Well, and, and, Dallas? And that's just it. I mean, this is Mike McCarthy's boy. Yeah, you know, and Mike McCarthy doesn't want to get rid of his boy, but are the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, going to make him 
get rid of uh, Mike Nolan? That's the question because, you know, the Cowboys have not been great on defense in the uh, past few years, but at least, uh, when, you know, under Marinelli last uh uh, who, who was according to the last six years before Michael McCarthy, five times had a defense right in the top 11 against the run. Right. You know, they were never this bad. And so you, you change the coaches, you change the schemes, you got the same players. They weren't this bad against the run last year. You know, and all of a sudden you change the coach and the scheme, and, the scheme, and they can't stop anybody. And like McCarthy said last night, it wasn't the scheme. You know, we're not talking about the scheme, it's about execution. Stephen Jones says today on the radio, that it's not the players, you know. So if it's, if it's not the scheme and not the players, that both execution, there's a disconnect there. <laughs> I know one thing: they're they're, they're paying those uh, a lot of those players. They're paying all those linebackers. They're paying some of those defense. They're paying those guys a hell of a lot of money. Not getting much return on that investment. I can tell you that. No, and, and I always say that you know, to me, the great run defenses are stout on the defensive line, especially up the middle. Yep. Okay. The Cowboys have average to below average defensive tackles on this team. You just look at the defensive tackles. So, yeah, you're paying DeMarcus Lawrence, but when you're a good run defense, you're stout up middle defensive tackles, nose tackles, those guys are, are run stuffing animals. They don't really have that. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I, when I was watching the game in the second half, I came to the realization I'm watching as, as Baltimore, and they do have a, they have a different look. They have a different uh, the way they incorporate their – the quarterback running the football. It's 11 on 11 football instead of, you know, 10 on 11. And you have, you, you can get out gapped, and, and the Cowboys get out gapped quite a bit. And it, it is a different thing to prepare for. And Baltimore, I mean, they, they beat everybody up in the, in the running game. But I was watching, I'm thinking, Dallas's defensive linemen, they're catching Baltimore. They're not coming across the football and hitting them. They're catching them. And right. at, at that point, they're giving up the line of scrimmage. I mean, they're getting, they're catching and getting uh, knocked backwards. I'm thinking, man, that, that just can't be what they want these guys to do. I mean, I can understand two-gapping rather than penetrating a gap. When you're two-gapping, you shouldn't be catching. You should be attacking in two-gap, you know. I, I don't know. They looked a little soft, to say the least, I guess. <laughs> well, they were soft. They got out physical. They got out schemed. They was confused, you know. You know, when, when Lamar Jackson can take on fourth and two and go untouched at the end zone. 37, you know, <laughs> 37 yards. And, and seeing ghosts. I mean, you know, it, it's a lot of stuff going on. But, it, but again, this has been a season-long problem for the Cowboys defense. Yeah, looking at Van Der Esch on that play, he, he runs he, – he chases the back across the backfield that Jackson faked the ball to, and he leaves a gap open. Jackson just goes right through, right through that gap 37 yards for a touchdown. It's like, man. There you go. Yep. And he, he said that there was a problem. He didn't, he didn't trust himself. He, he read it, didn't trust what he read, and, and then, you know, was out of position. So Didn't trust uh, his eyes, huh? Didn't, didn't trust his own eyes. So and, and, and that's part of it. But, again, the Cowboys, you know, we talk about the show, we can rest for, for the Bengals. Well, the Cowboys had extra rest, extra time to prepare for the Ravens. They knew what was coming. You know, what, Ray, what, what Lamar Jackson has done, they watched a ton of film on them, Lamar Jackson and running game. Right. And it still didn't help. We'll have more on Sunday's matchup, including comments from Andy Dalton on the Bengals Pep Rally Show, Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. My final conversation this week is with a local entrepreneur who has partnered with the Bengals to introduce a new fashion brand with a positive message. 
The Bengals and Cincinnati-based black-owned outerwear have teamed up to design a limited series retail collection called Stripes Don't Come Easy, aimed at unifying the Cincinnati community. The six-piece collection goes on sale Saturday, December 12th at black-owned and the Bengals Pro Shop. You can also find it online at Bengals.com. And joining me to discuss the Stripes Don't Come Easy collection is Means Cameron, the owner of black-owned outerwear. Means, what's the message behind Stripes Don't Come Easy? The message is that, you know, if it's worth having, it's going to take some hard work to get there. That's what we're, we're looking to let the Cincinnati community know with this campaign. We understand that things don't happen overnight, but I believe that Cincinnati can be a model town and model city, and there's great work to do around our communities surrounding the support of Black and minority communities. And uh, we got work to do. And I'm happy that the Cincinnati Bengals have decided to stand right next to us and put in that work. And we understand that stripes don't come easy, but we're, we're, we're geared up about it. How did this collaboration come about? I believe a friend of mine over at Mortar uh, was talking to the Cincinnati Bengals. And there's a new program that the, the NFL launched for the teams to partner with local brands. And our name was put in that hat. Which is, which is amazing, just to be the pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, considering there's tons of awesome brands here in Cincinnati. To be the brand that the Cincinnati Bengals reached out to and say, hey, we, we want to do something with you, and we want it to be meaningful. And uh, I got excited immediately. So it's, it's exciting. We're talking to Means Cameron, the owner of Black-Owned Outerwear. Tell us about the collection. What makes it a little bit different from the other Bengals gear out there? The first thing I would say that it's featured by black owned, which um, is a message in itself. Um, so that's the first piece that is in collaboration. This, this Bengals collection is in collaboration with our brand. But then on the design side of things, I really wanted um, our capsule to not just be, uh, you know, another Bengals piece. Uh, and, and Bengals gear is popular throughout every city because of the colors, the history, it's just nice. But in order to help our campaign and capsule stand out, I decided to go with a cream campaign, which makes our pieces just a little different from what you're used to seeing on the shelf, that white, black, and orange, or that orange and black, black and orange. These pieces immediately grab your attention because you're not used to seeing that orange and black paired with cream. But once I submitted it to the Bengals, I was a little apprehensive and they came back and they were like, we love it. And I was like, oh, this is good. From that standpoint, it's, it's going to stand out. It's going to feel unique. And that's what we wanted it to feel. We want people to be able to identify this capsule right away. We're chatting with Means Cameron, who has teamed up with the Bengals on the Stripes Don't Come Easy collection. Means the Bengals have a group of players that serve on the Positive Community Impact Committee. In August, they led a march from Paul Brown Stadium to the Underground Railroad Freedom Center where Trey Hopkins and Joe Burrow spoke about racial injustice and being catalysts for change. What impact does it have when players get involved? Yeah, it has a huge impact. We're 10 years in as a brand, well, nine years working on our 10th year. And this has been our message for that period. But when the people that we look up to, the people that we see on TV each Sunday, their voice is magnified, their voice is amplified. So when the players get involved, 
it, it says that, hey, although we're professional athletes and we're busy and we have a ton on our plates, this is important to us. So when, when, when professional athletes like Trey are willing to go out and make that statement, it's everything because we know how much work it takes. Well, we think we know how much work it takes to be a professional athlete, but we understand that there's a lot of work involved. So to have, you know, Trey and Joe Burrow and Sean Williams and all of those other guys just lining up to say, hey, this is what we want to do in the city of Cincinnati and our entire team is a part of this. That's exciting. You mentioned mortar earlier. A portion of the proceeds from the sales of Stripes Don't Come Easy gear go to mortar, which is a program that's been recognized nationally. You're an alumnus. What does mortar do and how did it help you? Mortar is an organization and their overall mission is to equip underserved creators, owners with the tools necessary to run a sustainable business. And I think in our community, we have ideas, we're able to start businesses, but oftentimes we're not able to sustain them. So Mortar was founded to provide those resources to people like myself. So I actually took the Mortar class after I launched the brand, after I graduated from Miami University. But even still in taking the class, there were things that I was able to learn during the class that allowed me to get to this point. But the knowledge is great, but what's also important for entrepreneurs like myself are those relationships. And Mortar is a lifelong relationship. I travel with those guys. I consider them guys brothers. So the fact that I have the opportunity to promote excellence, sell some of my greatest designs, and donate to my friends, this is a win-win all around. We're chatting with Meads Cameron, the owner of Black-Owned Outerwear. The Bengals are one of 32 NFL franchises. What does it mean to you to partner with an NFL team? So I have to be honest with you, Dan, at the beginning of the year, every year, I try to set goals, 20 or less things that I want to accomplish. And one of my goals was I wanted to design a uniform for a uh, professional team. And I was working that lane because I, I think now is the time to kind of get in there and put myself in a hat. And I was thinking, hey, I could do this. And it came in a different form, but this is, this is just as great. And this, so I put a check next to that, that goal for 2020. Uh, so it means, it means a lot. You grow up, I grew up playing football. I started at the age of four playing the game. I was a big kid, <laughs> but I started young and I played all the way through high school. We grow up wanting to be NFL players. I think in, in my neighborhood, downtown Cincinnati, for a lot of us, that's our out. Being good athletes, wanting to make it out and, and do better for our families. So I never made it to the NFL to be a part of the team in that way. But uh, with this partnership, I, I've certainly made the team. The Stripes Don't Come Easy collection goes on sale Saturday, December 12th. What's it going to be like for you when you see people walking around town wearing that gear or carrying the bag with that message on it. It's nine years in and sometimes I'm still amazed that people take their hard earned money and bring it to my shop and spend it with me because I know how hard it takes for me to make, make money. So I'm still in amazement. So all I can say to that is that uh, once the comp campaign launches and, you know, and the town starts to fill up and people are wearing this, 
I think that'll that'll be another check mark on my on my 2020 goals, which is uh, to make the city of Cincinnati a little smaller. And that's what we have the opportunity to do here. And a lot of times it's about understanding more so than anything else, just understanding. And I think this capsule will create those very important conversations that need to be had in coffee shops, in boardrooms, about what it is that we can do when we understand one another and when we're supporting uh, minority-owned businesses. A couple of hometown businesses trying to make Cincinnati a more unified place. The Cincinnati Bengals and Black-owned outerwear. Means, congratulations. We look forward to seeing this all over town. Thank you very much. It is a great honor to be on the Zoom with you. This is, this is amazing. So thank you, Dan, and appreciate all of the work that you've put in for, for our city. If you have a Bengals fan on your Christmas list, the Stripes Don't Come Easy gear includes a jacket, a hoodie, that's what I want, a jogging suit, a t-shirt, a turtleneck, and a travel bag. You can see pictures of the entire line on Bengals.com and purchase the items at the Bengals Pro Shop or at Black-Owned Outerwear on Elm Street. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.